Welcome back from the first half. I, I split this episode into two. We're going to see how this works. All right. We have the first news item is the Fed gives Bitcoin a non-zero price. And let me pull this up here. Um, so I linked to this in the show notes. It was a report put out by the San Francisco Fed. Um, it's a PDF that's linked through the page that I link. Uh, put out a couple weeks ago, and the author is it looks Dutch uh, Joost Vanderbert, and uh, he is an advisor for the Federal Reserve. Okay, now the thing that I think is intriguing about this is that the Fed gives Bitcoin a non-zero price. Okay, this is drastically uh, different. It's a change um, in what they've been doing. I mean, if, if forever they've been saying zero, 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 you know, it's a bubble, it's not a threat. And we hear from other mainstream people like uh, Jamie Dimon that says Bitcoin is a fraud from Charlie Munger, who says, um, what was it? Uh, Bitcoin is like a trading harvested baby brains. <laughs> so um, this is a drastic change. Now Bitcoin is worth $1,800, they say. And this author gets that from the cost to mine a Bitcoin, which he is using like Chinese numbers, which for the most part is ending, right? The Chinese subsidy is ending. And so I don't think anybody can mine a Bitcoin for $1,800 anywhere in the world, even in China. Um, that would be like the cost of, I guess, just plain overhead of a big mining farm over there with free power. But that's not the case anymore, okay? Nowhere in the world can you get <laughs> mine a Bitcoin for $1,800. My estimate is the average cost in the world to mine a Bitcoin is $7,000. And some places, obviously, it depends on how much your power costs are. Lots of places are cheaper than other places, of course. And um, so some places could be $10,000 to mine a Bitcoin, which wouldn't have much Bitcoin mining then. And some places um, are 4000 but probably the cheapest anywhere is around 4000 is my kind of ballpark guess at this. Um, so you'd have to adjust his reasoning on that and say, hey, it's worth actually $4,000. And so, you know, you can, you can, play with this now where in the past it was like refuse to give a any sort of fundamental price for this now they give you uh say it's a non-zero price um, just really interesting and um it just shows you that the traditional heavy hitters are looking at bitcoin they are watching it and sentiment is starting to change around the world now remember the big achievement of bitcoin was to go from zero price to having a price on the market zero to one that's from peter Thiel. zero to one is the harder thing to do than one to many so bitcoin has now established a fundamental price according to the fed which is gigantic that so when you're talking about bootstrapping a new currency you, you when you're talking about the great achievement of bitcoin i mean it was it created a digitally scarce asset that could have a market price Okay. And we've known this for how many years now? Eight years or whatever. But um, other people didn't know this. I have a ghost in my machine. So anyway, that's that's the uh, now we've established this digital scarcity as a real thing. And that's why store of value is the most important right now. Because, I mean, Bitcoin is a thing now, um, even according to the Fed, which I think is very important. Okay, so let's go on to the next one is Bitcoin batching 
and transaction account or transaction account. There was a uh, this cool piece by Coin Metrics. I linked to it obviously in the show notes, uh, and they look at um, batching because there's a story that you know w- one reason why the the transaction count is down is because people are actually batching a lot more than they used to be, and so they wanted to check that. Uh, in the blockchain and see if that's real. Um, and they, they do a really great, great job with charts and breaking it down uh, for us. What they found is that 38% of outputs are batched. Okay. And by batch, they mean, I think they said three or more. Um, so not just two, but three outputs or more. And I think that is also minus the change output. So, um, you know, they're really technical on this and they're counting these these outputs. And uh, I think it was three or more. But anyway, so 38% of outputs are from batched transactions, um, which is good, but it's not like huge and it's not growing that fast. Like there was no significant change. There was a slight change in um, trend. Okay, so it was kind of flat and now it's kind of up a little bit, but this this number isn't moving a lot. So it doesn't um, show that, you know, people learned a lot and they are batching more now. Uh, So it doesn't explain a ton. They also found that 50% of output value is batched. So the people that are sending more valuable transactions are more likely to batch. That makes sense because the industry, the industry players, the like the exchanges and things, they will be more educated on this and using batching more and they probably have higher uh, value. So they're not buying coffee. They're actually sending you your thousand dollar withdrawal or whatever the case is. So that, that makes sense. If you, if you zoom out, though, because they look at just six months since this bear market. So they do say the bear market could have something to do with it. Uh, but if you zoom out and you look at three, four five years of history, the batching percentage is not significantly up. I mean, it's it's basically the same as it was back in 2014. And what that tells me is that um, back then, there was a lot fewer transactions, first off. But second is that back then, most of the people were um, technically savvy. So they knew how to do this better. Now we have most people using uh, mobile wallets or whatever, and they aren't they, they don't they wouldn't know how to batch a transaction anyway so yes it's a different type of user base and now we have a slightly higher amount so there there, there is something to be said here this also has to be taken into consideration um the empty block bullshit that we went through so you had bitmain mining empty blocks or near empty blocks because they had to um create a block like that for their asic boost right and um so a lot of this reduction in mempool and reduction in fees and even reduction in block size that we've seen over the past six months has come from well a little bit of decreased usage but also slight increases in batching and slight increases in or reduction in a number of empty blocks hope that makes sense so let's say we get a 10 percent increase from batching a 10 percent increase from uh, reduction in a number of empty blocks plus a little bit of extra from segwit Right, because we've have we've had some larger blocks, like one and a half megabyte blocks. So um, all of this added together keeps that mempool low and keeps the fees low. Um, I think that's very important to take into context here. So that's at Coin Metrics. If you guys want to check that out, okay. Let's get into this Ethereum stuff. So Ethereum, there was a really big article put out on Hacker Noon, 
by stopping to crypt. Okay. And he was looking at this, the current state of Ethereum. He tried first to find like how big the blockchain was and nobody is recording that anymore. Um, like Etherscan and a bunch of these other things you can't see this, the total size. There was one, I did this a year or two ago, trying to follow the size of Ethereum's blockchain. And there was one side I found that this guy was publishing his own his own nodes data, okay? But he recently stopped doing that. And the reason why is because he couldn't keep up. And his number was 1.1 terabytes. 1.1 terabytes. And remember earlier in the show I said that Bitcoin was approaching 200 gigabytes. And it's 9 years old where Ethereum is two and a half or 3 or whatever however old it is. Um so it's it's growing exponentially. Okay. And when you bring this up to people, they'll say, Oh, like that doesn't matter. You don't have to run a full archival node. You just have to keep the current state. So that's what this stop and decrypt did. He went and dove deep down into this current state and took a look at it. And he found out that it's growing exponentially too. It's currently like at a hundred gigabytes. I've heard between 80 and a hundred gigabytes. Okay. That's huge. That's compared to the, um, that's compared to the UTXO set in Bitcoin. So the reason why their blockchain is growing so fast is because they keep the blocks and this current state, okay, throughout history. Um, that's why it, it grows so quickly. But if you take just the current state, it also grows that quickly, uh, exponentially. And they've had a big problem over the last, I think it's six months, half of their nodes have fell out of sync with the network. And this problem is appro approaching a critical point. So there's there's a couple different solutions for this. This is why you hear of sharding. And sharding is where you take this state and you break it up and then you have, you know, maybe five different shards that people can, you only, your node only handles one shard. Um, but that doesn't fix the underlying problem, right? That just delays it by a little bit. But at an exponential growth rate, you might only buy yourself a few weeks or a few months, something like that. I mean, it's pretty crazy. And also the bigger that this state gets, your node cannot process. It just physically cannot process and check that much, right? So uh, I had a, a tweet the other day that said, um, the cloud is someone else's computer and the world computer is your node. So really, they, they try to say that, oh, this is a world computer, everyone, you know, all this computation. But really, it, it's limited to your own node, how much your node can calculate. So if that if it can't check 100 gigabytes in 15 seconds, I think is their block time, you're screwed. You're going to fall out of sync with the network. You will not be able to keep up. And right now, they even say you must have an SSD. You can't have a regular hard drive because you will not be able to keep up. Stop and decrypt takes this to its logic, uh, takes this problem to its logical conclusion and says, okay, you have a choice. You can either put a block size limit in because to stop the growth of this UTXO set or this current state, or, you know, you're going to have a catastrophic failure. Cause what happens if eventually all the nodes fall off and only one node can keep up? Right. And then what happens when those few nodes that are this last node or a group of nodes are the only ones that can keep up and they fall off because it gets to 250 gigabytes or something and they just can't keep up. You're screwed. It's a catastrophic failure of the network. What's left of it. So th that's the choice. Either you um, 
put a block size in or you have a catastrophic failure. Now, if you put a block size in, that's going to create a fee market and it's going to price out all these dApps that you are built for anyway, right? So either make it unusable for dApps or make it unusable for everybody. Your choice, Ethereum. That is a pretty bad scenario. But of course, this was swept under the rug. And now we see Vitalik and, and other Ethereum people kind of lashing out and throwing um, shade at other places to get people looking at that. Like Vitalik had a tweet about no coiner, the term no coiner. And he's like, I have a deep dislike for the term no coiner. Or he probably sounds like, I have a deep dislike for the term no coiner. Well, guess what? <laughs> You're just trying to distract us because this is a huge problem for Ethereum. So anyway, I think I covered that enough. Um, so let's take a look at this tweet. So uh, there was a tweet by B.M. Bernstein, and I'm going to open this up. It was really good. He looks at their block size or um, their gas limit, whatever, however they calculate that, and it's pretty much full at this time. Um, but he breaks it down, and he provides some really good um data points here for us to discuss. So he says, only four applications have more than 500 daily active users on Ethereum. Let me say that again. Only four applications have more than 500 daily active users. That's what I've been saying. Nobody uses these things. Nobody's using these things. He says, over the past 24 hours, ETH has had 812,000 transactions Yet only 67,000 came from the top 100 apps. Only 8%. Only 8% of transactions are used by the top 100 fucking apps. What? What? And they're pushing this limit and they're exponentially growing with only 8% used by the top 100 apps. Nobody is using these things. His next tweet says... Uh, Data from Nick Carter, he, he runs a coin metric site that I just talked about, um, shows in December that 90% of the volume actually came from a mixer. What does that tell you? Well, it tells me that, I mean, maybe people want to be private with their Ethereum. That's, that's fine, but I don't think that's what this is. This is hacks. Ethereum projects getting hacked and then people mixing it to, to go and sell it or to you know hold it privately. Um, this is bad. And so when, when Nick Carter published this, then I guess they turned off the mixer. They probably just switched it to some other place that, uh, it wouldn't be so obvious or they broke it up or, or something. But, um, 90% of the volume on, on Ethereum is a mixer. 8% comes from dApps. Okay. What else does he say here? Um, the main point that I want to touch on here too, is, um, this, this tweet I'll read it and then I'll read my response to it. Um, based on the data above, it looks like ETH hasn't actually built a first mover advantage slash moat in smart contracting. Most of the transactions aren't from dApps. Okay, then um, he goes on to talk about EOS is coming and there's competition for this. And I, I responded uh, to that. Let me pull up my response. I said, good analysis. I have to mention, however, that you're assuming there's a higher demand for dApps out there. Because my contention, first off, these aren't these aren't dApps. They're centralized. 
They have a centralized organization. They have centralized smart contracts because they need to be updated. So they're not running by themselves in the wild. They have a leash on them, right? So these are centralized parties doing centralized smart contracts and calling them dApps. And there's no damn demand out there for them. Zero. It's exactly the same as this Bcash bullshit. So Bcash was like, oh, there's just this huge wall of demand. We need to plus up the block size immediately because everybody wants to buy coffee with their Bitcoin immediately. So we need to raise the block size. There's no demand. They forked off how many months ago? Nine months ago? And they still have 100 transactions per block. Nine months ago. There is no demand. Dogecoin has more transactions in Bcash. It is a big lie that there is this demand for retail transactions and payments immediately right now. Okay. It's the same thing here. There's a lie that there's actually demand for quote unquote dApps. The whole thing is about when pump, sir, when pump, nobody gives a shit about the dApps. Bloomberg had an article out that said, look, the, the most valuable tokens are from ICOs that haven't written code. Let that sink in. That means that once you, and I said this too, they have a disincentive to release code because there could be bugs. And then people will find out that it's dumb. <laughs> like the idea behind whatever token is stupid. And so they dump it, right? So it's all about the pump. It's all about the pump. They release these, uh, you know, it's blockchain future, blockchain future, this magical uh, unicorn place. We're going to dance and have fun on stage. And uh, it just, first off, it's freaking weird. Second of off, second off, it's, it's like fantasy. They're pushing this fantasy world as a future, uh, as a way to pump period. So these tokens, they launch, nobody freaking uses them. Nobody, nobody needs to use them. Nobody wants to use them. And now what's EOS doing? They're coming in here and they're going to compete for this DAP, the market in DAPs. There is no fucking market for DAPs. There is no market. It's just about the pump. And pretty soon people are going to catch on to this idea. It's all scammy. It's all a bunch of marketing. One, it doesn't work. Two, no one wants it. <laughs> so let me read the rest of this tweet out there. Uh, so I said, a good analysis. I have to mention, however, that's assuming that there's higher demand for dApps out there. That's unclear. Any low-hanging fruit for dApps surely has been tried on Ethereum and failed to find demand. Perhaps there's no moat because there's nothing to protect. This just makes me think of that quote, you know, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Like no one wants dApps. Now EOS is coming in and they're going to find out they're fighting over table scraps. It's all about Bitcoin. They're, they have to find this marketing pump somewhere to compete with Bitcoin. Censorship resistance, immutability, decentralization. These are the things that are valuable. Not some stupid centralized app that calls themselves a dap these people are living in a fantasy world anyway okay i think i've ranted about that enough what else do i have <laughs> so okay then the next one i have here is about going into this eos uh, that uh, <laughs> they have this constitution 
Um, and it's another Twitter thread that I link in the show notes. Um, I guess now each transaction is going to have to have a hash of the constitution of EOS and EOS is completely centralized and they admit that they designed it that way. Um, they have only 21 or they're going to have only 21 or they have only 21 uh, validators at all. Like that's it. And so it's, it's very, very centralized. Now in this, this constitution, they have all this like stupid ass legalese, all this just crazy ass funny stuff. And that has to be hashed into every transaction. It's just silly. Like Nick Zabo even said something about this, like <laughs> is retarded. So uh, if you want to read the constitution of EOS, have at it. Okay. What else about EOS? They had a bug that was came out um, about a week ago now, I think. And this bug was catastrophic. They're lucky that this J Japanese company uh, published this. And so anyway, they, they published this and they said, oh, we fixed it. Now it's all good, right? Well, <laughs> everyone's like, look at how great EOS is. They fixed their bugs so fast. This is great. Well, guys, it's like a cockroach. You know, if, if you see one cockroach, there's a hundred left in the wall hiding. You're infested by then, right? It's the same with these bugs. If, if you see a bug... And it gets reported like this. That's fairly obvious. I mean, uh, it wasn't like rocket science to find this. I guess the EOS team actually said that they were aware somehow of this. Um, but so they, they fix this bug. But that means that there's 100 bugs just waiting. It's based off a faulty idea. Because it's all about the pump. So they take a negative of this bug. Probably lots hiding. But they take this negative of the bug. And they turn it into a positive so that they can pump the shit out of it. And it's probably going to pump. I was wrong about Ethereum because I came into this space from the sound money side, right? I came into this space and I saw the value of Bitcoin um, and I looked at these blockchain projects and I was like, how could ever anybody assign a value to Ethereum with um, constant inflation, right? And so I didn't think this would even had a chance, but I underestimated the power of the pump, the power of marketing. That's all they have. Now they're in this no man's land. Ethereum and EOS too. I mean, EOS is a security. Ethereum is a security. All this stuff is going to get taken down. It's not censorship resistant. And EOS is by design not decentralized. And Ethereum isn't decentralized either, but at least they're more decentralized than EOS. I mean, Dan Lammer is going to pump. Dan Lammer is the pump master. He had BitShares, which had the same exact like delegated proof of stake that EOS is using. And I bet he used the same damn lines to pump EOS that he used to pump BitShares. I bet the same damn lines. You'd have to go back and look at what he said about um, BitShares versus now with EOS. But he said that BitShares failed because people didn't care. So they had, they had voting for these, for the delegates. People didn't care enough to participate. Now they probably had some sort of scheme or something to force participation somehow. I don't know. I haven't really looked into EOS. But uh, <laughs> I'll tell you why no one cared. Because no one gives a shit about this stuff. No one cares about the governance. No one cares about um, what features your coin has other than the pump. Can I pump this feature? I, I'm, I think it sounds cool. This feature sounds cool. I bet other people think this feature sounds cool. I don't give a shit if it's real. I just give a shit if other people think it sounds cool. So I'm going to pump this. This delegated proof of stake didn't work on BitShares because no one cares about governance. 
no of these altcoins. They care about it for Bitcoin because Bitcoin's the real shit. But they don't care about it for these altcoins because it's about the pump. Period. I mean, 99%, you pr- you have some diehard Ethereum people, I'm sure, that actually like love this stuff, but that's very far and few between. Oh, gosh. Second uh, half of rant complete. Now let's talk about Bcash. Um, Bcash had, uh, has this guy that has this podcast called Vin Armani. Okay, that's his name. And um, he, you know, he probably only gets like 100 views, but then they buy views and shit for him. I don't know how much is like they say that he gets, but he has a YouTube channel and stuff. And I've watched a couple of his shows and it's just mind-numbingly dumb. I mean, this guy, you can tell he's a scammer, right? And he's just freaking preaching his his talking points to the masses. Anyway, he is a self-proclaimed gigolo. He did that in the past. Um, I don't know if he still hooks, but he he was a swinger. He was a, a gigolo in the past. And so now, like, they're kind of billing him as this, like, B-Cash is sexy. Look at Vin Armani. He's so sexy, right? Um, try as, as a way to market this. But it's stupid. He has zero credibility. I don't care that he was a gigolo. I mean, I won't, like, probably hang out with them. I don't necessarily approve of it. But, I mean, I can I can think it's a bad thing. I don't care that he does it he, as long as he's not hurting anybody. But... I don't agree that it's good. It's bad, right? And so he's established this MO of selling himself to the highest bidder, right? And so now what is he doing with Bcash? He is selling himself to the highest bidder. It's a pattern. So he has zero credibility. And what do you come out with this coin text app? He, I guess he launched this coin text app that everyone's trying to say, oh, it's so great. Uh, for for Bcash, it's so cool. I mean, do they? They probably don't know about Coinapult. <laughs> Coinapult was a company years ago. Eric Voorhees in the space, and and he had S- SMS transactions. It's a centralized service. It's nothing new. I swear that Roger's trying to recreate Bitcoin circa 2013, because that was the last time that he himself, Roger Ver, was the center of attention. That he himself, people believed in what he said. People uh, gave him some respect. Now he's totally, completely lost that, except for a very small group of people. And even then, out of that group of people, everybody knows he's a scammer, but they're there for the pump. Where When pumps are, that's why they're in that shit. They're not there because they actually believe in it. Or even know what's going on. They're there for the pump. So anyway, that's that's about Bcash. Um, Ripple. Ripple looks like they're going to pivot here uh, and rebrand. I saw a new logo that they have. Um, you know, this this the banking narrative has played out because these banks probably start this pilot program and then a month later they're like, okay, I think we get it. Why? <laughs> Why use Ripple? I, like, it just nope, nothing has come of it. And eventually, you have to pivot your narrative to continue, right? Um, so they're going to pivot to retail individual users it looks like uh, we'll have to see how that works out um overall this altcoin space there's still a lot of hot, hot air here and so i think bitcoin will be sideways until these things work themselves out um that's why i'm thinking that you know we consolidate here still for a little while all right let's get on to traditional markets the big story here mainly is europe and how that 
corresponds with the dollar. Um, there's a lot of moving parts, obviously. And I am not like a super, super expert at this stuff, but I watch it constantly. And, you know, this was a big area of focus for me for years. But, uh, okay, so let's start with this. Deutsche Bank, they are, their stock hit all-time low. And this is not even an inflation-adjusted low. This is an actual absolute all-time low for their stock. Um, pretty big deal. Uh, they are, they have massive amounts of uh exposure to these credit default swaps and bad CDOs. They were kind of a dumping ground uh, about four years, four or five years ago. There was dumping ground for these, this bad uh, debt. And it came to a head a couple years ago, but they're still very exposed, especially to like Italy and Greece and Spain and, and their, their debt. So as we have with Italy going, starting to uh, blow up again, uh, you know, obviously Deutsche Bank is starting to have issues. So if Deutsche Bank is like the scapegoat for this next crash, um, they could go under. They could definitely go under and that would hurt the Euro. That would hurt Germany too. I mean, it would hurt everybody over there. Um, so what what's going on with Italy? Well, Italy f finally formed a new government. They have these radical people in there that want uh, Euro skeptics. A lot of them, uh, they're not radical. They're real, but, uh, I guess they're, the threat of imminent exit is over for now, and the there was a huge crash of their bonds, and uh, so that is one thing that hurt Deutsche Bank. But now they've apparently formed this new government, and they are able to move forward. They're acting like everything is fixed, but of course it's not. See, one of the things we, we see over the last few years, right, is the central banks, after the QE started, they're now like, well, we want to... They want to get their balance sheet in order, okay? Well, you can't do that because these banks are insolvent. Italy's banks are horribly insolvent. If you start trying to get these banks, to their their balance sheets in order, um, it's going to turn out that they're, they're bankrupt. They can't do that. So they have to keep pumping this. Europe is still in QE. They have a meeting next week about the taper. If they're going to taper, I don't know if they can taper now. Um, and so that has like this, there's all sorts of things at play here, but, um, Deutsche Bank is having trouble because Italy is having trouble, which means that they have to continue QE, which actually strengthens the Euro for some godforsaken reason. So as QE is supposed to taper, that weakened the Euro, which is weird. So this, this whole currency thing is backwards. In QE, when they're pumping money into the system, you'd expect that to mean inflation and you'd expect that to mean their currency gets weaker. But in reality, because everything is so precarious and if you stop QE, that actually makes your currency go down, get weaker because they think it's going to cause a market crash, that there's eminent problems because QE is getting shut off. Because look at the US, as we stopped QE, Everyone was like, oh, the dollar is going to soar, right? Well, actually, that was a negative for the dollar because people said the economy is going to crash. So they didn't want to be holding dollars. So the dollar got weaker over the last year and a half. Okay, and, and now it's Europe's turn. Now they're talking about taper. And they're, so their euro is getting weaker and the dollar is getting stronger. The dollar index is going up. I mean, it's it's pretty... it's exactly backwards of what you would expect. So now they're probably going to have to continue their QE because of Deutsche Bank and Italy. Um, so I expect the Euro 
to actually strengthen pretty hard. Uh, that will hurt the dollar. So the dollar will probably go down. The dollar is probably done going up. We might have another week, maybe another 1% to 2%, something in there. But it's going down again. It will roll over and go down again. And so how does this affect Bitcoin? Well, as we have, as they have problems and as more and more people realize that this whole system is ass backwards, they're going to move over to Bitcoin. Okay. They're going to at least buy some. These hedge funds want to get in. A lot of these smarter people that are able to see this sooner are going to see this and they're going to want to get in. So this, anything that happens bad with the traditional markets is good for Bitcoin. Um, I said this, gosh, probably two months ago or three months ago, I said that, you know, one of the reasons why we're having this extended uh, consolidation for Bitcoin is because the traditional markets looked good at the time, right? But now we're starting to see more of these crises popping up. I mean, in the United States, this is supposed to be the, the strongest time of year for like home starts, for building of new homes. It's down. Sure, the unemployment rate is supposedly down, but... So many people are on government assistance, food stamps, um, welfare, right? The labor participation rate is still dropping. So compared to 2008 and now, the labor participation rate is like 5% lower. That is 20 million people. 20 million jobs are gone. So yeah, the unemployment rate might be technically lower, but in reality, the unemployment rate is much higher. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think it would be better if more uh, couples had were able to survive on one income. I think that's a positive. But um, that's not the case. It's actually the worst. The worst of all of these options is what we're going through right now. So anyway, okay, uh, that is my news half of the of the episode here, guys. Thank you for joining me. My name is Ansel Linder. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and markets. See ya. Thanks for listening.